Thank you for joining us for today for part four of Heritage Mississauga's 2022 placemaking webinar series. We would like to begin by acknowledging that the land on which we gather today is part of the treaty lands and territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit. We recognize the importance of this land and pay our respects to the Anishinaabe and other First Nations, Métis and Inuit, past, present and future. This is the final session of our four-part placemaking webinar series. Today, we welcome Ben Phillips, manager of the City of Mississauga's official plan and zoning services team. One of the team's key projects is the official plan review, which began in 2019. Prior to his current role, ben, ben led processing and project management of a number of significant development applications at the city as a planner, including the 72-acre Brightwater community on Mississauga's waterfront. Before joining the city, Ben worked for planning consulting firms in Vaughan, Ontario. The title of Ben's presentation today is 2051, Planning for Mississauga's Future. Mississauga's official plan is the city's roadmap for the future. It lays out where housing, industry, offices, shops, rapid transit, and roads should go. It determines what parts of the city will focus on, uh, will focus on growth and provides policies on culture, heritage, the environment, urban design, transportation, and the economy. Every 10 years, this plan needs to be refreshed to make sure it reflects the changing needs, opportunities, and aspirations of our city. This review is happening right now. This presentation will give an overview of the proposed new policies that will help shape our city for the next 30 years. We invite you to type in your questions in the chat function, and we will have a Q&A session at the end of Ben's presentation. So with that, we welcome Ben Phillips here for our part four of our webinar series. Great. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm just going to uh, share my screen. Okay, so hopefully you can see this. Um, I'm just going to to move on. So again, uh, thanks for that introduction. Uh, uh, again, my name is Ben Phillips. I'm going to be leading the, the presentation on planning for Mississauga's uh, future. So uh, as mentioned, I have worked at the city for many years and uh, more recently I've taken over this function as managing the official plan review and also our, our zoning services team. And today I just wanna to talk to you about how Mississauga is planning for the future. So when we talk about planning for a city's future, we need to talk about a city's official plan. It is the key guiding document for the long-term growth and development of cities all across Ontario. And the Planning Act, which is really the enabling legislation, it says that we must have one. And Mississauga has had an official plan since uh, 1980, and we keep updating it. So. We're, we've had four generations of our official plan and we're starting on our, our fifth generation. And so, in fact, every 10 years through the Planning Act, the province requires cities to update their official plan. So, as I mentioned, we're doing that right now. This will be our fifth generation of the official plan. So I put this slide in to show uh, a land use map from the city's first official plan dating back to 1980. So it shows we've been planning the city's growth and development for a long time. Uh, and this was the first 
term of a new mayor and her name was Hazel McCallion. I'm sure you've heard of her. So she was just in the middle of her first term when this plan was initially developed. And you can see even back then in 1980, uh, our downtown was being planned. Uh, it's shown in the, the, the red hatched area and it was known as the city center back then. And it, I find it interesting too, the linear transportation and utility corridor, that gray hatched area to the north uh, was planned back then, otherwise known as Highway 403. I believe it was under construction at that time. And the central portion that's kind of shown here and that runs uh, across the Credit River wasn't even completed when this plan was first put in place. I think it was completed a couple of years later at the uh, at the end of 1982. So shows we've been at this uh, this uh, master planning work for the city for a long time. So also another reason why we need to update our official plan is really to conform with recent changes to provincial policies and plans. So the province sets out the, po the, the policies that municipalities like Mississauga must follow. And this is found primarily in the provincial policy statement and the growth plan for the Greater Golden Horseshoe. So we also need to conform to the new region of Peel official plan and integrate key parts of recent city-led studies such as the Climate Change Action Plan and the Transportation master plan. So you can see there's a lot of things we need to consider from the province um, all the way down. Okay, so getting into a little bit more about what is an official plan, so, uh, and really why we need one. So the official plan or the OP for short, contains the framework and long-term vision to direct growth and development today and in the future. So this framework includes policies that touch on a whole variety of themes, ranging from housing to the environment, uh, to transportation and to cultural heritage, as well as many other areas. The official plan policies don't just shape the built environment, they have impacts on the day uh, the day-to-day -day way that we live, the way we choose to commute, where we spend our time and how we grow in the city. So this is why it's important to adopt uh, different pillars, which we've done to guide the creation or really the update of our official plan. So you can see these pillars on the screen, conformity, which we talked about, conforming to the province and uh, other different plans. Uh, we want to simplify the official plan as each generation has uh, of the official plan has come to fruition. In some ways, it's become more and more complicated in language and policy. So we want to simplify as much as we can. We also want to add a bit more certainty to the plan in terms of what we want from this land use plan. And we also want to be innovative to keep up with uh, latest trends in planning and the latest needs of our city. Over the past two years, we've consulted communities and provided draft policy directions and they're grouped in different themes. And you can get a, a little bit of that picture in this slide. We have uh, 
city structure and urban design. We're gonna talk about that in a few moments. And what we really ask the public is how will our city grow? Of course, housing is an important topic. And we ask people, how can we provide more affordable housing options? On the theme of transportation, we ask how will we move around the city regarding environment and climate change? How will we support a healthy and active and a resilient city? And for community infrastructure and jobs, how will we protect and build our city's cultural assets and our community infrastructure? So again, we did a lot of engagement with community and stakeholders in uh, 2020 and 2021. And really we're continuing to do this even now. So just at a, a high level, some of the things, uh, key drivers, key things we're updating in the official plan. Um, we need to plan for uh, the region's allocation to Mississauga for population targets and employment growth. And that needs to happen for the next 30 years up to 2051. Another key change is we need to plan for growth around major transit station areas. And you'll hear a bit more about that. Also, we really wanna push into looking at more housing options to address affordability. Also, we need to uh, plan for environmentally sustainable communities as well as to address climate change. Another area is within transportation, we want to look at complete streets not just planning for cars, but for all modes of transportation for a safe, accessible and sustainable transportation options. So the, those are just uh, kind of a high level look at some of the key changes. So again, this just kind of shows where we're at. We're in part three right now. We're getting near the end of this process. Um, we hope to finalize next year by, by September. So stay tuned for that. So the first theme I want us to, to look at is growth management, city structure, and housing. These two images give a snapshot of growth in Mississauga. And in one generation, we can see the incredible uh, growth that's occurred. Really, our city has grown up. The picture on the left is our downtown in 1973. Not much of a downtown back then. Uh, it was also the grand opening of square one. And as you can see, it's surrounded by farmland, very few residents. Uh, this picture on the right shows our downtown now. We are a dynamic and maturing city. And the reality is our years of building on what was farmland are over and new growth is almost entirely from infill development and the redevelopment of land. So this gives you a little bit of a taste for what we heard from the community, from residents, from business, from uh, landowners, uh, but primarily from those who, who live in Mississauga. And actually over COVID, we found the engagement, which of course was all virtual, it allowed for greater access to a number of voices. So we had a good uptake. We often had uh, between 100 and 200 participants in our virtual engagement sessions, which was really great to see. So again, I won't read out these bubbles, but uh, themes such as uh, that, that really was repeated. You know, people want more housing choices in their neighborhoods, but they still want us to consider neighborhood character, 
many people noted, hey, where are the mid-rise buildings? We want to have less tall buildings and more mid-rise. Uh, we want to protect the waterfront. We want Mississauga to be an attractive place to live. We want more memorable destinations and great public spaces. So again, it just gives you a, a flavor of what we heard. And I think we've really tried to shape our new policies in line with, with these comments and other comments as well. I wanna go through uh, some data to help us understand where we've been as a city uh, where we are today and where we are headed. And this chart, it, it shows that most new housing in the last 15 years is in the form of apartments. So that's the, the blue portion of these bar graphs. So the blue represents apartments. You can see that really growing and it's reversing the decades-long housing trend in Mississauga where most of the housing was in low-rise. So we see that in the green. So all that low-rise housing, again, we're pretty much built out, so we're, we're starting to build up. So between 2,000 and 5,000 new residential units have been built per year in the last few years. Yeah, you can see that here, and it's, it's trending up. This graph shows the number of apartment buildings and the height range of apartment buildings constructed over the past 60 years. So along the bottom, we can see these are different time periods. They're in five-year increments. And I just wanted to highlight, note the peak. When we were building our most apartment buildings, it was not any time in the recent past. This goes back to the late 60s and 1970s. You can see 103 apartment buildings were built uh, during the, uh, from 1966 to 1970. So that was our peak. And if you just think of Mississauga, we have those, a lot of older buildings in Cooksville, uh, you know, in, in Port Credit, along here, Ontario, as well as uh, other areas in, in the city. So that was really our peak, although a lot of those buildings, really most of them were under 25 stories. They were more slab-like buildings. They were not the, the tall point towers that we're seeing now. Um, and here, the green represents buildings that are taller than 25 stories. So you can see that proportion of our apartments over the last 15 years, 15 to 20 years, we're seeing more of those apartments that are over 25 stories. So taller, taller uh, apartment buildings. This map shows where building permits have been issued over the past eight years. So most uh, are in our downtown, again, around the square one area, no surprise. Um, as well as uh, Aaron Mills Town Center, you can see kind of the west along Eglinton and Aaron Mills Parkway. That's kind of another hot spot for building permits. Um, and also, you know, you can see some in the south in Port Credit, um, but also in the what we call the uptown major node. So along here, Ontario and Eglinton, that intersection, uh, we've seen a lot of development. So um, that just gives you a, pic a little bit of a picture of where we've been. This map you're seeing, it shows active residential development applications. So it really shows a similar, similar growth trends. So this is really kind of what's in the pipeline applications that are not approved, but they're in process. 
Um, you can see some hot spots down in Port Credit at, at Brightwater um, and at Lakeview. I know uh, in the last couple of weeks, you've had some webinars focused on these two locations on our waterfront. So this bears, bears that out that we're seeing uh, kind of new applications for housing there, as well, of course, in the downtown, the uptown node, and some around Cooksville. Uh, so this gives an overview of our population growth. So the years of rapid population increase has slowed over the past 10 to 15 years. You can see um, this goes back to 1976, so just a couple of years after Mississauga was formally created as a city. You can see this rapid growth, but you can really see from 2011 up to our, our current census year, we are very flat in our growth. We are still growing, um, but it's not the 4.5% every year that we were growing during our years of rapid growth. Right now, it's slowed to less than 1% each year, so it's a significant a significant drop, which brings us to an interesting paradox. Because I've been talking about, you know, growing uh, three to five thousand units, residential units per year over the last uh, several years, but the population overall hasn't really increased. So what's happening here? This slide shows a little bit of really what's happening. So the answer is in our low-rise neighborhoods. So these are all our low-rise neighborhoods listed here. And you can see two-thirds of our neighborhoods, they shrank in population between 2011 and 2016. So those are the neighborhoods in pink. We don't have the 2021 data yet for our neighborhood geographies, but that uh, should be coming early in 2023. But we believe the trend is continuing. Um, and the next slide actually bears that out. So what it shows, this is actually from the University of Toronto School of Cities. They've mapped out this trend of declining population over the last 25 years. So from 1996 up to 2021, which was our last uh, most recent census. And it shows really the, the kind of the same trends that uh, uh, neighborhoods throughout the city, particularly the older neighborhoods south of Highway 403. So anywhere you see a... Uh, a, a pinkish red circle, that means the population in that area has declined. Um, the, the blue circles show increase over the last 25 years. Again, usual suspects in our, in our downtown along here, Ontario, the northwest portion of the city, Churchill Meadows in the west. Yeah, there's been growth, but these older areas are, are shrinking. Um, and so, that's that that tells a little bit of the story of why this is happening so um, diving in a little bit deeper we know that over 80 percent of the city's population is in our neighborhoods which mainly contain detached homes as shown in this map so so this this map uh, really illustrates the area in yellow are lands zoned only to permit detached homes so this is a big portion of our city where you can only have detached homes. And we know household sizes are getting smaller. So there are less people living in a typical detached or semi-detached home. And because 71% of the city's residential land area has only detached homes on it, 
this has an oversized impact on Mississauga's population. So even with the many new apartments units going up um, in the growth areas, the loss of population in the yellow belt means we're just treading water in terms of our population. So uh, it's just an important thing we have to recognize and plan for. And this, this shows a little bit more information. This is our population pyramid specifically for Mississauga and for 2021. So males is on the left and females is on the right. You can see the baby boomer uh, population, uh, particularly those uh, in their, their mid 50s to mid 60s. Uh, there, there's this bulge and it's actually even a little bit greater, uh, greater than uh, the gray line, which represents uh, the gray line and the yellow line, which represents the Ontario percent average. Um, so we see this bulge, but we can see in terms of kids under 10, there's not, there's not many of them. So this is why our population is, uh, is declining in, these, uh, in the neighborhoods. Uh, this is another uh, interesting data point, and this is really uh, showing uh, the decline in population for our children. This information is from Peel District School Board enrollment, and it shows that the enrollment over the last 10 years has decreased. So Mississauga, I don't know if you can see it, but it's this dotted line here, and it's just slowly trending down from 2008 down to the latest data from 2019 that we have here. So we can see it's declining. Whereas Brampton, this dashed line has been increasing, Caledon has been increasing, uh, but Mississauga is decreasing. So again, this reflects the declining population of children of the city over time. But I would note that the modeling does show a rebound in employment over time. You can see as we go towards the year 2030, we're forecasting uh, increases in in enrollment or at least the uh, field district school board is is predicting that so uh, there's a lot of information on this slide this is a, a kind of a key slide but it really uh, it shows that the planned location heightened density of growth will stay mostly the same and this will achieve uh, the region's 2051 population allocation for mississauga so uh, it, if we look at this, um, again, the population here, we need to at least plan for a population of just under a million people. So that's an increase over the next 30 years of 200,000 people. And we believe the existing planning framework that we have, we don't need to make any major changes. We don't need to establish any new growth nodes or growth areas in the city. The majority of growth is gonna take place in our downtown, our major nodes, our community nodes, our office centers and around transit stations. So uh, the province now calls these strategic growth areas. And again, I'll just outline, that's our downtown. It's our urban growth center. Actually the province defines this. Uh, so really it's running for just uh, along here, Ontario, just south of uh, highway 403, all the way down the Queensway. So this is our really highest density area. The area around square one, we actually have unlimited heightened density. Um, in our other portions of the downtown, uh, we've just gone through some planning work I'll touch on later. 
generally the height maximums are around 25 stories, although we have higher uh, heights that come in through uh, development applications. We have three major nodes in the city. I mentioned the uptown major node. We have the uh, the central Aaron Mills major node, and of course, down by the waterfront and Lakeview. Those are our major nodes. They're associated with specific height and density ranges already in our current official plan. So um, I guess what we're saying is no major changes. One of the changes I didn't mention is along our transit stations, we are planning for um, increased uh, densities um, and heights. I'm just highlighting uh, the downtown, uh, sorry, the Dundas um, corridor. There will be bus rapid transit along Dundas and therefore new transit stations. So the province requires us to establish minimum density targets. Uh, persons and jobs per hectare along that corridor. So that's something we need to integrate into the new official plan and plan and, and really plan for. Our neighborhoods are shown in yellow, um, not planning any major new growth in these areas, but we do need to increase housing options. And again, this will help us as we need to reverse the trends of population loss in our neighborhoods. Uh, we need to look at, uh, and we'll talk about it a little later on, but we want to introduce more potential for housing options such as semi-detached homes, duplexes, triplexes, and some townhouse forms. Not going to go into this chart, but it shows we've done our homework in looking at um, our different master planned areas, and our applications in the pipeline already. Um, and when we do all of this, when we add this up for all our different growth areas, we're coming to a number that we can accommodate about 360,000 new residents um, over the next 30 years. The minimum that the province and the region requires us to do is for 200,000. Um, so we're already there. Again, this really justifies why we don't need to establish some, you know, new major growth nodes in the city. So this is really what we call a land budgeting exercise, and we've done that through the review of the official plan. So I just want to touch on some of these other master plans that have been underway even before the official plan review, and we're integrating them into the official plan, and you may have heard of them. Um, I touched on the Dundas corridor. We did a master plan um, as well as, a, I guess, a, a, a transportation master plan that was called Dundas Connect. So that was back in 2018 that council approved this. Um, and so city staff has recently added the recommendations to the official plan, including uh, land use and heights. So um, you can see this is just a little excerpt from that plan and it shows um, a variation of a lot of mid-rise heights as well as some higher heights around Dixie, kind of the Dixie Dundas node. This is a project called Reimagining the Mall. Again, you may have heard of this, really re-looking at our opportunities for uh, transforming our existing mall-based nodes from retail only 
to a mix of uses, including residential uses. So some of the greatest remaining opportunities for growth outside of those key waterfront sites are around our, our mall-based nodes. So there's five that are identified here. They are Central Air and Mills, Meadowvale, South Common, Sheridan, Rathwood, Applewood. So these are kind of spread out through the city. We also added Malton. Uh, and again, um, we wanna look at how we can best integrate not only housing, but other public realm assets such as roads and uh, parks. And we want to identify, so everybody's on the same page uh, in terms of how these should develop over time. As part of the study, we developed some demonstration plans to show how possibly we could redevelop these sites while keeping uh, retail and commercial uses. We want to keep those functions there, but just uh, build, build on these in terms of residential integration. So this example just shows the Erin Mills Town Center, and it just shows uh, having a mix of uh, additional uh, or new housing, low-rise housing, mid-rise housing, and some tall buildings in selected locations. So again, this is not a, a, an absolute plan that's been integrated into the official plan. It just shows how things could go. So um, these, these uh, policies are under appeal. So we're working through those uh, appeals right now, but they are council approved. So again, we, we mentioned major transit station areas. So the region of Peel led this work in association with uh, City of Mississauga staff. Uh, so the province requires uh, major trans transit station areas to be uh, priorities for growth. So the region and their new official plan, they're showing 54 boundaries around these transit stations. They need to have minimum densities. They, they do now. Um, so you can see in this image, these comprise light rail transit, go transit stations, bus rapid transit. And uh, again, they, they all have maximum heights and densities. Um, they will still align with really what we have in the official plan currently, but there we're, we're, we're having to be more specific in our official plan. So this map just shows where these, we call them uh, MTSAs, where they're located throughout, uh, throughout the city. So again, we wanna integrate uh, new growth. We wanna have uh, new trails, cycling lanes in these areas. We wanna support a mix of uses as shown in these images. We wanna have a range of housing types. We want these really to be transit supportive neighborhoods. Um, this just shows really also in 2022, we've had a busy year. We wrapped up a policy review for downtown Fairview, Cooksville, and Hospital. Again, this is the area just south of square one along here, Ontario. This is formerly part of our downtown. So uh, we, we just have uh, some adjusted policies that, that really encourage walkability, uh, community connectivity, creating uh, vibrant vibrant areas, we want to plan for more housing and people and for high quality transit. Here, I just thought we would uh, just note a couple of the uh, large developments that are 
really being built right now in our downtown around Square One, our downtown core. You may have heard of these, the Exchange District that's on the left. Uh, this is about 2,000 residential units in, I believe, four towers. Uh, also, M-City. Uh, this is around Burnethorpe and Confederation Parkway. Uh, several towers, I believe, eight towers. Uh, about 5,000 residential units, as well as a, a two-acre a park. So obviously lots of growth in our downtown. In our downtown, we have, as I mentioned, unlimited height and density in the zoning. So that uh, has led to our vertical growth. Um, again, I believe you've had a couple uh, webinars in the past, uh, past couple of weeks that touch on Brightwater and Lakeview Village. So I won't go into it too much. Uh, and I worked on the Brightwater approvals for a couple of years before my current role. So about 3,000 units there, uh, up to around 7,000 people on 72 acres, uh, about five and a half acres of park, 400,000 square feet of commercial and institutional space. Um, what will also be great is we'll be connecting um, our parks on the east and west side together and just opening up and increasing our parkland along the waterfront and also cleaning up this, this site, which was contaminated. It used to be the formal Imperial oil site. And also on the right side of the screen, of course, uh, Lakeview Village, uh, about 8,000 residential units. So that means about 20,000 new residents on 177 acres. Um, so this includes 27 acres of parkland, um, 1.5 million square feet of employment, space. So um, really um, a, a massive development that will take shape over the next, uh, the next several years. So uh, lots of growth and development happening in the city. So in terms of uh, what we're doing in the official plan for policies, we're, um, we're looking at providing more certainty. Again, one of the pillars of this official plan review more certainty from an urban form and building heights perspective when it comes to how the city will grow. So for example, there is new draft wording that outlines the rationale for why it's important to maintain the city structure heights and densities. So we, we recognize that continuous changes through individual development applications, it reduces land use predictability and the ability to undertake long range planning and it can impact local services, community infrastructure, transportation facilities and the environment. So we have new language around, uh, um, you know, reducing the amount of um, departure from our official plan when individual applications come in. One of the other significant changes we're considering is uh, altering our residential land use designations. So we wanna change it from the current uh, density basis that we have on the left side of the screen. We have these categories, low density, all the way up to high density. We wanna uh, change the name and really what's what we're doing by changing it to height base. So we're, we're gonna to go to low rise, mid rise and high rise designations. We know density, density really doesn't speak to build form. And the example is in the middle here. This is density and it, 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 this example is 75 dwellings per hectare. It can look like any of these three forms. They all 
result in 75 dwellings per hectare. The first one are two-story townhomes, very low-rise form. Uh, the second example shows uh, you know, mid-rise built form, mid-rise housing, uh, also at 75 dwellings per hectare. And, and the last one here shows a single tower that's 20 stories high, also same density. So we want to get away from, from using density uh, or floor space index as well, and just keep it simple, keep it understandable, and really relate it to impacts, which is more, more about height often as we, as we look at our neighborhoods. The other thing we want to do is uh, look to our mid-sized neighborhood malls and guide, guide redevelopment of these mall sites to incorporate residential uses. Our official plan already allows residential uses on these sites, but it doesn't give much guidance. Um, there's about 40 mid-sized neighborhood malls in the city that are at least uh, one hectare or larger in, in size. I believe this image is uh, Central Parkway Mall at Burnenthorpe and Central Parkway uh, East. So staff are proposing new policies, kind of similar to the Reimagining the Mall project that will give guidance to, to development. Um, it will give direction on height, building transition, mix of uses, streets and open spaces and other elements as well. One of the, the, the significant changes is right now, you, the official plan doesn't allow redevelopment over four stories, which is really not realistic. Um, so staff are considering an eight-story height limit for these sites over one hectare, um, but also include angular plane transitions. So the angular plane is demonstrated on the right side of the slide. You have a detached home here. By having these wedding cake step backs of buildings, it ensures you don't have uh, a slab of a building right next to your home. There's transition, which allows for uh, light, reduces overlook, allows for greater sky view. So uh, as we go up, we have to be sensitive when we're transitioning to low rise neighborhoods. So that would be built into the policies. Um, so that's one another key change. So uh, along housing, uh, we, we have new provincial policies that require cities to consider uh, policies around housing choice and increasing housing choice. So in some ways, when we look at our current official plan, it limits housing options. So this image is, is interesting in that the hatched area in the map shows where our official plan only permits detached homes. And this is a pretty specific and restrictive policy for what is really supposed to be a higher level land use policy document, the OP is supposed to be pretty high, high level and you're supposed to kind of leave these things to your zoning bylaw. So this is pretty restrictive and it covers a good portion of the city. Um, so what we're doing right now is uh, just considering different housing options um, to revitalize our neighborhoods, which again, as we talked about, the populations have been decreasing so we want to make better use of infrastructure that's already built into our neighborhoods, such as parks, schools, libraries, and community centers. So uh, the, the other piece of it too, is we want to look at uh, increasing the missing middle. So this does not describe mid-rise housing. 
it describes housing between detached homes, which are shown on the left, and mid-rise buildings on the right. There's all these other creative types of housing forms that we don't really have in Mississauga or really a lot of the GTA. Um, you know, different duplexes, fourplexes, uh, different arrangements of townhouses, such as uh, stacked and back-to-back -back townhouses and even low-rise apartments. We don't see these housing forms integrated into our our neighborhood. So we want to look at whether it's appropriate and where it might be appropriate to introduce some of these, at least at a higher level policy uh, level. So to that end, we have another study that's currently underway. It's called Increasing Housing Choices in Neighborhoods. And again, it's looking at integrating other types of housing forms into our neighborhoods. And actually the province has required us to plan for additional residential units uh, in all of our neighborhoods. So secondary suites are already permitted as of right in our neighborhoods. This is by provincial direction. So a third residential unit, such as, um, it's kind of shown here, like a coach house, what used to be called a, gr a, granny, a granny flat or a granny suite, a, a separate detached small housing unit on a lot. That is actually mandated by the province. We have to put this in our zoning. We have to put it in our official plan policies for all uh, neighborhoods that uh, and all lots that have detached homes, semi-detached homes, and even row housing. So we, we have to look at this and we're doing that now. Uh, one, of our, one of our planners actually took this picture and it just shows how you can integrate housing and you, you don't even really notice how the housing is divided up. This looks like a, just a larger detached home. It's actually a triplex in Toronto. So it has three units. I believe these are uh, rental units. Um, you can see the, the, you know, the three car uh, garages, one for each unit. And these are separate entrances that are shown to these units. So, uh, and we actually have this in, 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 uh, in Mississauga and Port Credit, I know one example. Um, so we need to just increase these, these uh, type of housing uh, forms. So this is another important study that will be integrated into the official plan, inclusionary zoning. It wrapped up in 2022 and actually council over the summer approved a new, this new planning tool. And it allows municipalities to require a minimum percentage of affordable housing in condominium and rental apartment buildings within major transit station areas. So it, it has a bit of a complicated formula on where in the city and how much percent of these new apartment units need to be affordable and conforming to the provincial uh, definition of what affordability means. So that's another piece we've, we've been working on. Um, so just uh, looking at, uh, I, I think we'll move on uh, just given time. Uh, but these really touch on sustainability and design. So we're adding language around that. Um, but I do want to just touch on a couple more areas, thematic areas that we're looking at. One is environment and climate change. So an important, an important area. We're uh, integrating uh, climate mitigation and uh, adaptation uh, land use measures and policies in the, in the OP. 
Um, so we're doing that really throughout the official plan. There is a chapter that focuses on it. Uh, we're supporting climate resilience and green development practices. Uh, we're having new policies that reflect action and recommendation from other city plans and strategies. And the key one is the climate change action plan. Um, we're adopting a comprehensive approach through land use measures, and it really requires multiple tools. So the official plan is at the center of these tools, as you can see in this graphic, um, as the primary implementation document. But there's other uh, tools such as the zoning bylaw, the green development standards, which we are updating currently, guidelines, site plan control, as well as community improvement plans. Uh, from a natural environment standpoint, one of the significant changes in the policies is that we're moving beyond protecting what we have to finding ways to expand the green system. So this is particularly important in an urban setting where we have fewer opportunities to acquire green space. So it becomes vital to find ways to expand and enhance our green system through the planning approval process. So um, here again, there's just a number of bulleted areas where we're, we're that we're working on in terms of new policies i know we focused on uh, things like uh, preserving water both beneath and above ground so we have new policies around that we have stronger requirements for buffers and environmental assessments um, and a new language around growing the tree canopy uh, I won't get into these given our, the time that's left, but these are just examples where we're adding the wording in blue is just like adding new policy, where before our policy was just like one sentence, we're being more explicit on how we can address climate change, climate mitigation. Actually, the province requires us to do this through the Planning Act and the provincial policy statement. So we're moving in this direction, um, again, being very specific around things like bioretention swales, permeable permeable paving, rainwater harvesting, water efficient plant material. So we, we want developers uh, to adopt these techniques more and more just as uh, their business as usual practice. So I have a few slides on transportation. So again, we've uh, done over the last five, six years, many different uh, uh, transportation related master plans, strategies, and, and studies. And a key one is the Mississauga Transportation Master Plan. So we finished that just a few years ago. Um, we also finished uh, an updated cycling and pedestrian master plan. And we're working on other plans, including a road and, and uh, uh, a transit infrastructure and growth plan. So all of these are happening. We need to integrate these into the official plan. Um, so I won't focus on the, the details here, but just to say there's a lot of new language and policy around sustainable transportation, active transportation, um, using uh, bikes and walking and transit um, more and more. So that's uh, there's a, just a, a greater uh, focus on these things as well as complete streets which is again, making streets not only for cars, but for people and for active modes of transportation. We also have uh, a lot of policies around Vision Zero, 
which is really um, recognizing that we've become a vision zero city in 2018. So the, it's really about an aspirational goal of zero fatalities and serious injuries on our roadways. So th this speaks to safety of pedestrians, cyclists and other vulnerable users. So that's another area. So this is not directly part of the official plan, but the OP speaks to a complete streets guide which is in a draft form right now, but it really talks again about how do we better use the streets, our streets for active transportation, building in more and more uh, transit lanes, cycling lanes, wider sidewalks, making sure we have trees on our, our boulevards and our streetscapes and how those relate to our, our buildings. And again, we're just adding new policies around complete streets in our language. Um, one key change is we have a new street classification system. We used to just have, you know, arterial roads, collector roads, and local roads. We're now putting another layer that speaks to a place status. Do these arterial roads, for example, are they in our strategic growth areas? If they are, they should have a different look and feel. Are they in our neighborhoods? Well, if they are, they should have a different look and feel than if they're in a growth area. Are they in employment areas where you're primarily concerned about uh, moving uh, traffic or truck traffic? Well, the road's gonna look different. So we've, uh, we've, we have this new gradation and classification, which will just help uh, better design our, our streets and integrate them with land use. So this is just an image of a map that is in our uh, draft complete streets guide. And this will make its way into the official plan. And again, here the legend, although it's got more complicated, it will help us better plan for the type of streets we wanna have in the future. And this is just a little example of, you know, how, how we can retrofit our streets. And here you can see, this is a, a a collector road in a strategic growth area where you want to integrate more cycling opportunities and more safe uh, crossing um, elements for pedestrians. And you want to maybe narrow uh, vehicle lanes in some areas to slow down traffic. You maybe want to add lay-by parking, which also slow down, uh, slows down traffic and uh, might act as a safety barrier to protect the cyclists. So there's lots of uh, ideas and directions that come out of the complete streets guide. And I just put this in here. This is the existing long-term transit network. It's in the official plan now. We're not looking at many changes. We know being built right now is the LRT around, along here, Ontario Street, uh, slated to be completed in 2024. We have the bus rapid transit way um, going east-west that was completed several years ago. These are absolutely key, as well as our, 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 our GO train lines. Um, again, uh, along Dundas, we are planning for a bus rapid transit system. We do have some provincial funding for that, as well as uh, the eastern leg of Lake, Lake Shore Road for um, bus rapid transit and some exclu exclusive lanes as well. So. Um, no big changes there. Kind of uh, the second last area, just to touch on cultural heritage and community infrastructure. So we are aligning uh, our direction 
with uh, different master plans again that have been done recently, including the uh, Cultural Heritage Landscapes project. Uh, we want to, uh, the chapter right now is, is going to be expanded to focus on community infrastructure and culture, as well as cultural heritage. We want to, and we are improving the Indigenous and First Nation policy content that there that is there now. We're going to be adding new archaeological policies and also policy definitions around cultural heritage landscapes and cultural districts. So the updated chapter starts with an overview and uh, definition of community infrastructure. And uh, the definition is expanded to explain how some community infrastructure may also serve as cultural infrastructure. Um, a new cultural heritage landscape section is being built into the OP and it's gonna provide definitions of a cultural, cultural heritage landscape and policy that lists the significant cultural uh, heritage landscapes in Mississauga. I won't uh, spend time on this, but it does um, really speak to examples of cultural heritage attributes that we will have in the new cultural heritage landscape documentation. This example in the picture here on the slide is our city hall, which is part of our cultural landscape, even though it's not uh, necessarily historic uh, in the traditional sense, but we define all the elements that are worthy of uh, preservation. And uh, so, yeah, these are now cited in a, in a bigger way in our official plan. We also now are gonna be speaking about cultural districts in our official plan. There's six, Clarkson, Downtown Core, Port Credit, Cooksville, Malton, and Streetsville. So these are areas you can, you can read these for yourself, but really they, they speak to different elements that these areas have. And so we wanna support and increase and encourage these elements uh, that are really uh, concentration areas for cultural activities and facilities. And the last uh, couple slides on, on theme areas really deal with um, our economy section. And we're gonna be updating uh, the official plan to deal with the, the city's high growth sectors. These have changed over the last uh, 10 years. Um, we have updates to encourage and support intensification of existing employment areas, establishment of creative industries and connection to employment areas by sustainable transportation modes. And another change is that the region of Peel is now uh, re really responsible for prohibiting the conversion of employment lands to non-employment uses, such as uh, retail, residential, and other sensitive uses. So we needed to update our official plan to kind of recognize that. So with that, um, in 2023, we want to finish off our last policy bundle with these last draft chapters. So uh, again, as I mentioned, hope to do that by September of next year. Um, so with that, um, you can participate. You can let us know what you think about our draft official plan chapters. Um, the QR code is in front of you. You can scan it. It'll take you to our website and you can be part of the conversation. So uh, with that, I think, we'll, I think we'll end and we'll have so, uh, some questions. 
So thanks so much. Oh, wonderful. Uh, one, of, one of the projects we're working on at Heritage Mississauga, and it's it's in its infancy, it hasn't actually begun yet, it, it will in the next, uh, in November, uh, or, or in into the new year, we're partnering with uh, Centennial College as a research project to uh, kind of document the histories of more recent developments. Um, so back in 1995, Heritage Mississauga, before my time at Heritage Mississauga, we produced a, a book called Places in Time, and it literally was kind of a, a history of subdivision developments at that point in time. Uh, and of course, from your graphs that you've shown, Mississauga has grown quite a significant amount since 1995. Um, and so we're going to be engaging the students to kind of explore uh, and document um, the people involved, not, not necessarily the the, the, the the individual aspects of development of subdivision plans and things like that, but the, the the concept of growth in our city, the developers and the individuals involved that have helped shape that, uh, you know, kind of that 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 next level of subdivision development, to kind of expand our knowledge of how our city has evolved. And so, you know, what we look at from a heritage perspective is very much what you are helping to plan. So the heritage of the future is, is kind of a, you know, the, the underlying score here. So, yeah, you know, those are things where, where you know, a study of our past can, can uh, play a role in, in understanding the, 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 the pattern of growth over time in our, our city. And so we look forward to exploring that at our end of Heritage Mississauga, but I'm hoping that we might be able to connect with you to help, uh, help uh, give us some ideas on, on how that exploration can, can take place uh, in our process. But thank you, Ben. Yeah. It's been fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And that's interesting. And definitely you can reach out and we, we can uh, we can chat about that. So wonderful. For sure. Wonderful. Uh, thank you for your time. Um, thank you for sharing this this uh, this look into the inside of Mississauga, I guess, in terms of future growth. Uh, it's not something for for the uh, for people that live and work in the city on a daily basis. It's not something perhaps we think about uh, every every day, but to see uh, to to have a, a you know a rough idea of where the city is going and and what the projections are like is it's fascinating to look at the the place in which we live, work, and play, and and what the future holds for it. So uh, thank you very much for uh, for spending this time with us and for for sharing the information that you have. It, uh, it it's a, it's an interesting uh, road that we uh, that we will we will be walking down in the near future oh well, you're welcome it's been a pleasure and uh yeah great questions and we'll yeah we'll continue the conversation and thanks for having me wonderful thank you take care thank you for joining us today for our 2022 placemaking webinar series we would like to thank ben phillips for joining us today to share this visionary roadmap for the future of mississauga heritage mississauga would also like to thank the ontario trillium foundations resilient communities fund for their financial support to help us bring a sense of place to a wider audience with this webinar series. Stay tuned for more webinar series from Heritage Mississauga as we continue to explore the fascinating history of the people, places, events, and visionaries that contribute to the landscape of Mississauga. <music>